What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. What's up, everybody? Happy 2020 to you, and welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed. If you have not done so yet, 2020 is a great time to like our podcast. And if you would, if you've been a longtime listener, would you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and a review on Facebook? This will help us to get more listeners and help them to understand the mission of what we're about here at Vitamin Lead to help you develop consistent habits, a healthy career, and company for the journey. Welcome back to this. We have an exciting interview with you today for you with Bill Coletti, and I look forward to sharing more about that here in a second, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a sneak peek of what's coming up the rest of the month of January. Uh, Next week, we have an interview with a good personal friend of mine, Dr. Bob Habib. He wrote a choose your own adventure leadership book. And oh my gosh, what a fun conversation with him. I am looking forward to sharing that with you. And then the week after that, we are going to have Kim Addis and she started Frame of Mind Coaching. And we're going to talk, we spent a lot of time talking about parenting and leadership. And so, man, for those of you that are parents, even if you're not parents, there's some real uh, wisdom and nuggets in there. Uh, Kim's preparing to be a TED Talk speaker this year. And so she just has some awesome things for us to learn there. And for those of you that are in the Hampton Roads area, we are excited that we are doing our first professional and personal development seminar on Leap Day, February 29th. It's a leap year, everybody. And so uh, it's called Take a Leap into 2020. Uh, I would encourage you that if you're on Facebook, go and uh, indicate that you're interested or going to that event. We would love to have you a part of it and we'll continue to add details as they become available. And so looking forward to that with y'all. Today, my guest is Bill Coletti. I am so excited to have Bill on the podcast. Bill's a reputation management, crisis communications, and personal development expert. Uh, He's been a panelist for the Wall Street Journal with their risk and compliance panels, and he's the best-selling author of Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. He has more than 25 years of global experience managing high-stakes crises, issues management, and media relations challenges for both Fortune 500 companies and winning global political campaigns. He's provided senior counsel in crisis management, corporate communications, and reputation defense to numerous clients such as AT&T, Target, American Airlines, The Home Depot, as well as major universities and global NGOs. It's even funny, we, we, we talked about in the podcast, but Bill had served in the Republic of Bulgaria as senior advisor to the prime minister. He was the first executive director of the American Chamber of Commerce in Bulgaria. Bill's the founder and CEO of KITH, that's K-I-T-H, 
kith.co is where you can find this company online. And so this is just a great conversation. We talk about reputation management when it comes to organizations. And so if you lead an organization or you're a leader in an organization, man, listen to some of the ways that you can prepare for a crisis before it ever shows up on your doorstep. And then we also talk a little bit about how even as individuals, we can manage our reputation and what we can do with uh, Bill's four A's of reputation management from his book, Critical Moments. And so listen into this conversation, join the conversation, uh, share what you're learning uh, at vitaminleadteam at gmail.com or on any of our social media platforms. And I look forward to talking with you real soon. Let's get into the interview with Bill Coletti on Vitamin Lead. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. Uh, so excited to share with you today uh, my interview uh, with our special guest, Bill Coletti. Bill, thank you for being here on Vitamin Lead. Hey, it is super exciting to join you. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. I am too. Um, so, Bill, we, we already shared a little bit about your bio with our Vitamin Lead audience, but would you just take a second and share a little bit about your, yourself and the important work that you do? Well, that's great. Uh, so we do crisis communications and reputation management. And the first, uh, first half of my career, sort of as soon as I left high school, I'd been running political campaigns. So I ran political campaigns um, internationally, domestically, uh, grew up in Florida. And so did that for a long time. And then around 2000 or so made a transition to corporate communications where we take the skill sets of politics and apply it into a corporate context. And then that morphed into specifically crisis communications and issues management. And then about six years ago, started our own firm, Kith, um, where we're doing, where there are six of us now, and we're doing it for a really nice basket of clients where we help folks that sit at the intersection of public expectation and their business strategy and try to help them navigate through critical moments and crises that they find themselves in. That's awesome. I, I love the work that you all are doing at this, this juncture. It is never um, ending. There's always something going on. Read the paper any day and there's always something going on. The, the, the media, I'm sure, is you appreciate the media because they help you to be able to connect with people that, that need your services. I do. And, that, and, that, and that's a great way to put it is appreciate is that, you know, they've got a job to do. I think we're in a, we're in a place right now where everybody's sort of hating on the media and fake news and all that sort of shenanigans. But, but I do. I, I get it. that they're, they're, they're trying to do their job. We're trying to do our job. And, and we sort of it's our role to tell stories. Um, not always through the media. We've got other outlets, but uh, but appreciate is the right word. Not not dislike or frustrate or scorn. It's it's I get the role that they play. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about your early career uh, growing up there in Florida and stuff. Uh, a lot of our listeners are kind of early in their career. Uh -huh. uh, is there something that you would say like was a lesson you learned early in your career that really helped you throughout your career from one of those experiences you had early on? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, so, uh, so I'll do a, a generic and then a specific. I just think be curious, be interested in different things, be interested in adjacent industries, be interested in um, lots and lots of different topics. And so when you're in politics or policy or sort of any sort of government services that, you know, 
early on, you are sort of forced to have a pretty wide aperture of, of things you look at, things you pay attention to. I think it's really sort of the value of a liberal arts degree is that it really sort of widens your aperture of the way you look and think about things. Um, so I think stay, stay um, curious about different things that are going on. Um, form opinions and be prepared to defend those opinions. But, you know, I've, I've always given that guidance. And then, and then the, the concrete one is travel internationally. I just think a perspective of international travel is so critical. Um, and in fact, it's almost a defining aspect of people that I hire. If you haven't traveled internationally, I, I probably am not going to hire you because I think that is a really, it's a, it's a key differentiator. And it, it, A, it shows curiosity. B, it shows courage. Um, and it also puts you outside of your comfort zone. So I think those are really important things. That's really good. Is that uh, so? One of the things I uh, saw in your bio was that you uh, worked in Bulgaria. Is that part of how you got connected to, yeah, to absolutely. that? Absolutely. I vividly remember as an undergrad saying, which now looks sounds so ridiculous, is that I'm much more interested in domestic policy. International affairs is not really interesting to me. And so then I got this opportunity to live and work in Bulgaria and, and do some work in, in a couple of other Eastern European countries while living over there. Um, and I love it. It was transformational for me. Um, exactly what I just said. I took my own medicine. Uh, it made me curious. It gave me courage um, and just sort of widened my worldview um, and, and took me outside of my comfort zone. So absolutely, I, uh, I took my own medicine on that. That's awesome. Uh one, one bit of curiosity for me was I was looking, as I did some of my research, I saw that you're a certified wrong thinker. Uh, yeah. what, what is that? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's a great. So it's this methodology that came out of the Stanford Design School. And, and it is a methodology of facilitating and um, strategic planning that really forces people not to think about things in a, in a linear path is that it's pretty easy to do strategic planning, which is five degrees better than what you did last year. But it also, but it encourages people to think wrong about what does a bold path look like? If, if, if this is easy, what is this? And what, what, what is that bold path? And so you're really, it's a, it's a facilitation tool more at its, at its fundamental, at, at its core. Is it really encouraging people to get outside the box, be bold, be creative, think about things um, that they've never thought of and do it in a very team collaborative way. So it's a, it's a wrong thinking um, mentality because uh, most people go into strategic planning, particularly in a corporate context. And I'm sure you've experienced this in your own strategic planning. Everybody goes in with, uh, with a little bit of caution and an absence of courage. Wrong thinking encourages you to throw both um, you know, caution to the wind and be a little bit more bold. Do you, do you think we do that because we want to salvage the resources we have and be protective of it? Or are we afraid of failure? I'm, yeah, I'm I think sure we're afraid of failure. I think we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of saying something stupid. And I think that, you know, the adage is as dated as it is, you know, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. And so if you just do make incremental change, um, I think people, there's a reward for that. Now, now I say that, and then there's this new thesis that I have is that that doesn't mean everybody should be Facebook and everybody should be disruptive. And the adage of Facebook is move fast and break things. And so I don't think that I'm not advocating for that either. I'm advocating there's a lot of real estate between move fast and break things and, you know, incremental by IBM. And so that's the space that I think is, is really very powerful. It's much more about transformation um, than it is about disruption.
How, so, so how can a how can a leader uh, maybe lead their team? Let's say I'm I'm leading a team of managers in my organization. How can I help them to? Are there some specific tools that I can use to take them on a bold path there? Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a great question. So I believe that I think that the, the other one of the things that the wrong thinking does is that it's very much a kinetic experience, meaning you're getting up, you're getting up and 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 on a table. And so I think it's uh, one of the simplest exercises, and the one I really really like with the think wrong exercise is you actually just create with blue construction tape on a wall an X Y axis on a wall, and then you put another one at 45 degrees, and you just have your team write. What are some bold activities? Pick a particular topic, a, an enterprise or a, a project that you want to do. What are bold tasks? And they go above the 45 degree line. And then what are sort of cautious and conservative and status quo tasks? And just write those there. Force the team to think above and below that line. And then it will be very, very obvious of the things that people get excited about. And they're always on that bold process. So I think it's a very simple process. X, Y axis, 45 degrees post-it notes on bold and post-it notes on, on uh, the expected path. Um, and it really galvanizes teams and it's kinetic. It gets, gets people moving and thinking, which I think is really valuable, not just sitting around, you know, chatting. It really is more valuable to get people moving. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the thesis. I'm going to switch a little bit. Like with your book, you, uh, critical moments, you talked a lot about how, uh, it's not just a binder to put on the bookshelf, but it's yeah. something that you actually are simulating and doing different things about. I loved uh, in chapter one of the book, you put that Seth Godin quote that just says, reputation is what people expect us to do next. Can you share a little bit about organizational reputation and why that's so important? Yeah, so it's 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 kind of what I want the next phase of my career to be is is We've spent a lot of time, uh, I spent the, the, the last part of my 13 years of my career doing crisis response, where companies find themselves in crisis, need a seasoned expert to come in to offer perspective and wisdom. And that's what we've done. And we've done, we've been very successful and, I'm, and I've loved and loved the work that we've done for some really great corporations. I think now we really want to be in a position of reputation resilience. How can we create organizations that are more resilient, that are more ready when a crisis comes and are more aware about risks. And so what the four A's, what I wrote about in the book, the four A's of reputation management is that, you know, Seth Godin said it, said it really, really well, is that, you know, your reputation is what people expect of what you say, do, or produce uh, that's there. I use, I use the coinage of it's the, the company owns its brand, but the public owns its reputation. And so if you have this belief that reputation is about expectation and that the public is the ultimate judge of that, we need as corporations need to create programs and tactics that are absolutely meeting the public's expectation of what we should do as a company. And you can't do that unless you go on this journey that I talked about the four A's of reputation management. That's good. Yeah. So Will you share the four A's just so yeah. that people yeah. can know? Happy, happy, to talk, happy to talk about it. You know, so the, the four A's and it's on the, it's the imagery on the cover of the book. It's, it sort of begins with, begins with this process of assessment, um, uh, excuse me, of awareness. Begins with this process of awareness. How can we be self-aware as an organization? What can we really do? What do we really stand for? 
and what is the marketplace of ideas around us? What's that all about? And so that's just a lot of sort of clarity and reflection about self, meaning the corporation, clarity and reflection about what do we stand for as an organization. The next is assessment, uh, which is where once you understand where you stand, go ask. Go ask your employees, go ask your stakeholders. It's public opinion research, basically. Going ask your customers and, and the people that care about you, what do you expect of us? What do you want us to do? So we're all familiar with, with Starbucks, obviously. Starbucks has had a couple of bumpy process, bumpies, bumps recently related to race relations. They've had some store managers and have had some, some few challenges related to race. There's another company called Illinois Tool and Die. I have an expectation, and Illinois Toolworks, Illinois Toolworks, you know, very large publicly traded company. I have an expectation that Starbucks needs to be on top of race relations, that Starbucks has a public brand and a public perception, and that those are issues that are really, really important to them. Illinois Toolworks, I don't have that expectation. I just want to make a really good product that lets me fix my whatever problem I might have if I was in a manufacturing industry. The way people get there is through this process of assessment of where they actually sort of ask this public, ask stakeholders, what do you expect of us? What do you want us to do? And so that's the second layer that's there. Third A is this notion of authority. And authority is about getting executive buy-in, making sure that once we are sort of, we understand who we are and we're aware, we've asked the public what they think, we then move to this process of, can we really pull this off as an organization? Not just getting budget for, to run a program or a tactic, but really is this true to the DNA and to the core beliefs of the leadership? Because reputation is very much founded on leaders, very much the individuals that make up the leadership of an organization. That's where the reputation is really sort of born and nurtured that's there. So authority is the third step. On the diagram, you'll see there's a solid blue line between the third step and the fourth step between authority and action. And that's, a, that's the barrier between well-intentioned staff or consultants that come in with great ideas. And so you cannot jump to action, I believe, unless you've gone through these bottom three steps. Because the way that works out is that if we say we want to grow our reputation, if you jump to action, you will follow the lead of other folks and or you'll just write a bigger check to the United Way or you'll write a big check to the Boys and Girls Club. And you have no idea of whether that's true to who you are, what the public expects of you, and if that's what your leadership wants. And so there's that solid blue line that says don't jump to action unless you've gone through this journey uh, first. And then you get to action. That's where you get into some really cool and exciting programs around leadership marketing, um, where you can be innovative. Uh, Walmart, for example, is, is doing amazing stuff with solar energy. Uh, and not a lot of people would expect that uh, from Walmart, but it is what people want from them. A lot of stakeholders that care about them. Starbucks doing amazing things for their employees. Patagonia, fabulous company. They're doing a lot of terrific things. They get there to action that matters by being sort of aware, assessing, and getting authority from their leadership in order to do it. Hmm. That's good. I, I know that I'm grateful for the actions of Starbucks. We uh, uh, lived on their health insurance early on in our marriage, my wife and I, thanks to her working yeah. there. And so I'm so grateful for the benefits they gave to part-time employees at that time. So It's great. And they take positions on things, sometimes controversial, but I've got a pretty clear, as do you, a pretty clear understanding 
of what I expect Starbucks to do. And they get the benefit of the doubt. And so if I were to say Starbucks and say Walmart, and you just immediately, you know, have some sort of cognitive recognition of, well, well, Starbucks, well, that's not the company I know. They'll kind of get it right. Walmart, you kind of think, ah, yeah, they're probably selling a bunch of garbage and taking advantage of their employees. And they're, they're not, they're both perception-based. Um, and I don't know if Starbucks always gets it right. And I know that Walmart's not always taking advantage of people. And so the, that, that changing of reputation is difficult over time, but doable. So, like, so we, we live in kind of a polarized world, right? And yeah. so uh, how does, as your company, how do you know which of the public perceptions is the right one to focus on as, as a company? Do, do they often, when they do some of these like public questions, do they find kind of polarizing opinions about the company? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they absolutely find polarizing opinions. I think it's, it, it, again, it's, for me, it starts with this awareness. So take the issues of LBGTQ, okay? Don't know where people, don't know where you are, don't know where anybody is on that topic, and people can be all over the place on that topic is that there are some companies, because they are self-aware, not because of their stakeholders, but because of what they believe, maybe for recruitment reasons or moral or ethical reasons, have a position. Chick-fil-A on one side, other companies on another side uh, that's there. Is that that's what they believe. And it's certainly polarizing. People believe very strongly on that issue one way or the other uh, that's there. But it starts with what do we believe as a company then you go ask people um, about that opinion, as opposed to going as a blank slate and telling me to tell the, the, the company just simply ref, reflecting society. And that, that, that is rarely a, um, a good position for companies to be in. I would much rather be Chick-fil-A and really true to their convictions and move forward as opposed to, well, what do you want us to think? And that's when people get in a lot of trouble because it breaks down at authority because the leadership team is truly not bought into that. So does that change over time? Is it possible that the ethos of the company can change, but the leader hasn't changed? Is that often when we see like a leadership transition in a company or what yeah, does that I, like? I think it absolutely can change. I think there are societal changes. You know, I think if we look at, if we were having this company in the 1950s in the deep South, I think there would be conversations about race and there would be people that would be on the wrong side of history about race. So absolutely society changes. And I think leaders, um, they do reflect that, they understand it, but I hope it's more directly related to their core, core philosophies on that. And so now we look back at some of leadership decisions of the 50s and 60s um, related to race, and we all scratch our heads now and say, oh my gosh, how did you guys, how did you do that? Um, and so I think, yes, it changes. I also think the public's expectation changes um, of what people expect um, organizations to do. I think people are, have, have greater, the public, has greater expectations of what they think companies should deliver and should do. Um, and I don't think every company has to rise to that occasion, um, but I think they need to understand that the public is looking at more from corporations than they have previously. That's helpful, thank you. Yeah. Um, so let, let's say an organization's in a crisis. Could you mm -hmm. maybe talk us through, like you, you've been behind those closed doors with these companies. What is the first 24 hours of an organization in crisis look like? What are leaders doing? Um, when do they usually call your company? Uh, yep. Yeah. Could you talk us through that. 
Happy to, happy to. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of different, not any individual, not any company um, are identical. Um, very often one situation is, is ostrich, head in the sand. Oh my gosh, this is this, this, I don't want this to happen. If I just hide, it'll go away. Uh, that's a very plausible solution. And it's typically outside counsel or a board member or someone like that that says, man, this isn't going away. You know, we got to deal with this issue that's there. Um, in that regard, there's a lot of denial and companies don't really want to want to um, acknowledge the challenge that they have in front of them. I think there's also companies that are very, very proactive and anytime they, they kind of get pricked or, or poked is that they kind of overreact uh, to a certain extent. And not every, everything deserves a response uh, different than the ostrich scenario. But typically what I find when I walk into corporations is that there is a mixed bag of people. There are some people of like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, and I don't ever want to have to, I don't know what to do next. There are other leaders that really show up. And when they show up, um, you really see something special. And I love the adage is that, that says the crucible of crisis, you know, doesn't define your leadership, it reveals it. And so it, I think leaders that have taken the time to think about the what if, if this could happen, they really sort of, those leaders, it really sort of reveals what they stand for and reveals what, what's there. And the best example of that is BP. Tony Hayward was the CEO of BP when they had the tragedy in the Gulf of Mexico with the Deepwater Horizon rig, is that it revealed his leadership where he would say, I would much rather be sailing on the Thames River in, in England than here dealing with this. And so, that reveals uh, his leadership. So, you know, I think inside the room, people are scared and confused. It's my role to give clear judgment and uh, the ability to look around corners and tell people, if we do this, here's what we can expect. If we don't do this, here's what we can expect. And sort of the, to be able to look into the future uh, based on pattern recognition and an understanding of what happens in, in the public um, is what we do. But it's a wide range of leaders, just like your example. Every leader is different. Um, but what I do know is that that quote is that the crucible of crisis, there's, there's not a lot um, not a lot of on-the-job training. It, it kind of reveals, in true crises, it kind of reveals who you are. It, is it often that it's a lot different than their personality, or it just, it really is just their, their personality? Yeah. It's fighting. their person. It, I, I think fundamentally it's their personality, and I think how leaders show up in a crisis, um, you know, is the core raw self um, that's there, and so these are, the, and not all crises are created equal uh, right. in that regard. Some are, some are big, some are small, but I, but I do think, I, I do think that it can, it is, it can be trained. It's just like any, any muscle that can be trained is that I think that you want to train it um, with crisis simulations, and I think one of the best advice I give clients, and, and you and your team can do this, is just read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, your local paper, and say, what if this had happened to us? How would we react? What if this had happened to us? That's exercising that, and I think that's critical for leaders, and so that when those skill sets get revealed, they like what they see, um, and so that's, that's, a, that's a very simple but very, very powerful way to just simply ask, what if? So, so is crisis simulation, is that basically just kind of like 
football practice. You're just out there running the reps, trying to figure out what you would do in those circumstances, or yeah. is there more to it? That you probably can... more like a scrimmage. Probably more like a scrimmage is that we actually got an offense and a defense and people are hitting each other and we're wearing full pads. Um, but yeah, we try to create simulation environments for our clients where they can actually sort of, we, we've got a software system and a product that we use that really creates a walled garden where people can actually safely exchange on email, exchange on social media. We've created a thing called Friendbook and we've created a thing called Twitter. Um, and so it's this real ecosystem of, of reality where people can actually engage. We've got live reporters calling in um, that, are, that, are, that are role players. So yeah, we try to simulate the game as much as we can and put pressure, not, not just set your hair on fire, but put pressure on organizations to kind of reveal the gaps. And one of the biggest gaps we see is the lack of coordination between marketing, communications, and operations. Uh, the operators, the people that are doing the business are disconnected um, from the folks that are actually talking about it. Uh, and that's one of the biggest gaps that we see in these crisis simulations. So you, your job is to get them to communicate and get used to working with one another in those times. I think in the simulation, it's really to identify the gap. And then in, once we try to solve the gaps, yes, that's exactly where we spend our time. But I think I'm, I'm really satisfied when we have clients that just illuminate the gap. Um, that's sort of one of the best things that we can do. Um, and then we'll figure out solutions to it. But, but identifying those challenges is a big first step. Now, is, are, are some of the principles of reputation management, is it something that individuals apply to their life? Like I'm, I'm thinking like maybe some celebrities that have been in hot water, but maybe more close, close to home, people like you and like me, like if your reputation has been sullied or you've had issues with family members or something like that, yeah. are there some basic principles that we can use to restore reputation or manage reputation? Yeah, so it's a great, it's, it's, it's uh, actually my, one of my 2020 intellectual journeys that I want to go on next year is, is the, because someone else asked me that question, is the application of the four A's for personal development. And I really think it works. And so I've used it in the, in the process and I'll come back and answer your question in just a second. But it, but it comes back directly related to diet and exercise or I want to run a marathon or any sort of goal that you have. If you don't, if you're not aware of what you can do and you haven't really gotten some sort of an assessment of what are the tools that I can actually use to try to get this done and are my doctor, you know, can actually pull it off. I had a friend who was a Marine in Bulgaria and, and he said, yeah, I'm going to go run a marathon. And I was training diligently and I knew what I needed to do. And I was diligently adding miles to get ready for the marathon. He just said, I'm a Marine. I can go run a marathon. Now, needless to say, I succeeded and he failed. Um, because you can't just jump to action. So absolutely, I think you can go on a reputation journey and think about that. I think for celebrities and you and me and, and things like that, I think the, the best thing to do is just simply be a good person. You know, just, just yeah. think about the consequences of our actions. I think um, we, we've worked for some high net worth individuals and, and, and they just, they're not bad people. They just didn't really fully think through the opportunities that they were afforded and, and the way that it would look. And so uh, Warren Buffett is such a, such a sage, but you know, he's, he said, you know, his reputation management or principles are really easy. And he, he took over Solomon brothers uh, investment bank some time ago is he said, you know, just do what you do. And if you see it, if you would see it in the front front page of the New York times, how would you explain it to your mom or your family or your sister? Um, and if you see something bad, and that's just a really good 
way to think about things. There are things that we know are right and wrong uh, because we don't get to where we are in our lives without having some semblance of success adjudicating right and wrong is that I think leaders need to be really conscious about that and just simply do the right thing. Now there are moral challenges. There are, there are ethical dilemmas where there's, where it's a fine, fine, you know, the width of a hair, the difference between right and wrong. Um, but I think generally it's, it's pretty straightforward uh, on what leaders and individuals can do. Uh, one of the parts of your book you talk about uh, with reputation management, there's like seven levers that people can pull with reputation. Uh, I guess my question there is, we don't have to go into all seven of them, sure. but are there levers that some people pull too much? And are there levers that maybe some companies don't pull enough that yeah. would help them with their reputation management? Terrific question. So there are these seven levers and, and, and there's a lot of scholarship around that. Some people suggest there's 18. Some people suggest there's eight. I've just came, come down and I just think based on my experience, it's these seven. And basically what they are, these are the seven things that a company can do. And I equate them to throttles of a, of a, of a light switch or a boat or something like that, as you can add more gas or less gas, is that I think people over index on sustainability because we're all talking about it. It's super cool. I, I, you know, we've all got our own opinions um, and the science is pretty clear on, on climate change. So I think a lot of people are just over indexing on that. Uh, and I, so I see that a lot about sustainability and CSR, um, you know, social responsibility. So that's one I see people over indexing on. The one I see them under indexing on is, is employee endorsement is really caring and being concerned about your team because what your team says about you publicly, um, they are your best or worst ambassadors in the marketplace. So if the, the, those that, the folks that show up, you know, 40 hours a week and, and, and are working in your enterprise, whatever it is, what they say or think about you as a leader and you as an organization, um, that's something you should really, really pay attention to. So that's kind of in the extreme. And then sort of in the middle, it's kind of a toss up is this notion of leadership privilege is that I think we mentioned earlier, so many reputations are, are made or broken based on the perception of the leader. So think of, think of a great company um, and it's not hard to think about the CEO, uh, Starbucks, Walmart, um, GE, uh, you can think of a lot of great companies, but you, and you really think about the leader that's there. So those are the two, ex two extremes, I think, Employee endorsement gets under attention. I think environmental sustainability issues get over attention. And I think somewhere in the middle is this notion of leadership, uh, that, that leadership is a privilege and organizations should, um, should really promote their leadership and their executive voice. I guess that would, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about later was this whole crisis with WeWork with their public funding and all that happened there. Some of the maybe uh, overuse of executive privilege as well as absolutely you know, 4,000 people losing their jobs just this last week. Like that's, that's quite a crazy amount of thing that uh, they're dealing with right now. Yeah. Can you speak to that or what you would do if you were working with WeWork right now? Yeah, it became a cult of personality. You know, that very, very much was singularly about, about that leader and what the leader could and couldn't do. Um, and he lost sight. I think that the WeWork, so I would, I've been a WeWork tenant, two, maybe three times um, in different iterations of, you know, we needed some temporary space, but also put my firm there early on. Um, amazing concept. It works for, for companies that need, need that type of space that's there. So an amazing concept. I think what he, the leader did, 
is he got way out in front of his ski tips and I didn't need them to do all of the things that they were doing. I think there was some bad financing that was there. I think the way they should have gotten rid of him earlier. Uh, it took a long time to negotiate that exit strategy that was there and they needed to get the rescue package from SoftBank. And so I think working with them now, I think they're doing a lot of the right things. They had to right size the finances um, in order to do that. If I was them, I would get out of the news and I would focus on the companies like me that were there, really focus on us, meet our very, very specific needs and kind of reboot and then sort of begin growing again uh, from there. But the, the, the biggest thing they needed to do, much like Uber needed to do with their CEO, is you have to make a very, very stark departure um, from the old to the new. Papa John's has done it. There's a lot of companies that have done it and it, and it, is, the, it is absolutely the right thing to do. So if I was working for them, I would say, you know, really make it clear what you're going to do different, how you're going to do it differently, and really focus on their customer base, which are small businesses looking for nice short-term office space, really focus on those folks uh, at, at a core business level and, and, and no hanky-panky where they're buying buildings and renting them back and things like that. I just really try to run a clean operation. Hey, you had mentioned something about uh, if, you, if you don't simulate crisis, you're going to spend a lot of your time and energy on that and not on the right things like you're saying of focusing yeah. on the people that could actually be your customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Companies just, you know, it's, it's that ostrich that we talked about earlier. Too many companies um, say they, they don't listen and look at the signals of the marketplace. You look at the Wall Street Journal any day. And if you ask yourself, what if, pretty clearly reminds you that this could happen to us and what are we going to do about it? So yeah, companies um, should, I would rather spend five minutes at a weekly staff meeting thinking about what if, uh, than the, the millions of dollars and millions of calories that are spent uh, managing a crisis in real time. Good. So one more question here for you. Sure. You said at the end of the book, you said uh, authentically developed reputation improves resiliency and the ability to thrive over the long term. I think everybody listening wants that for themselves, their organization. Yeah. Uh, what parting advice would you give to our listeners to take that first step toward authentic reputation in their organization today? Yeah, awesome. Really a beautiful, beautiful thought to end on. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's, it goes back to the four A's. Be true yourself. What do you stand for? What do you believe in? And then just live that out. Uh, live that as a leader uh, and, and be caring. Um, learn, be curious, the things we started at the very top of an organization or started the conversation. But I think for, for organizations is that they really need to be conscious of who they are, what they stand for, and what do people really expect from them. I see a lot of companies getting themselves into trouble when they bite off more than they can chew and they try to be too many things to too many people is that I think it is okay to be focused and disciplined uh, and, and really do that. So I think that I really believe that people should be infinitely curious and relatively focused on what they execute on and really, really be good at that. And your reputation will, to a certain extent, for an individual, kind of take care of itself uh, if you do that. Have awareness, but really sort of focus on things that matter uh, to you, to your family, in, in your faith walk, whatever that journey is, uh, really sort of focus on those, those things that matter as opposed to trying to be all things to all people. That's awesome. Thank you for that, Bill. And thank you for all that you've shared with us today. Um, the, your book is Critical Moments. Um, they, uh, they can go to criticalmomentsbook.com for uh, resources and to order your book. Yep. And also Amazon and all the other usual places that books hang out. 
And where, where, where else, is there anything else you'd like, whether you'd like them to find you? Obviously, Kith, K-I-T-H dot C-O. K-I-T-H dot C-O is the name of our firm. Um, um, pretty active on Twitter uh, and also on LinkedIn. Um, and it's B Coletti on Twitter, B-C-O-L-E-T-T-I. And then uh, the website's the easiest place to find us. We put archive a lot of our content and website. I try to write an article at least once a week talking about reputation and crisis in some form. Well, Bill, I'm grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us on Vitamin Lead. And uh, I hope that you have a great holiday season. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I too wish you a great holiday season and uh, something we've, we've all got lots of things to be thankful for as we head, in, head into this, uh, head into the end of the year and excited for next year. Absolutely. Have a great day, Bill. We will talk to you real soon. Excellent. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.